The only place of safety for you for the future is the ark that we have, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only place of safety from the coming judgment. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Are the events in today's world, wars and conflicts, natural disasters, famine, pandemics, all signs of the times, or are they just the natural outcome of sinful human beings? Perhaps both are aligned in a way unconsidered? Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom has part 10 of The Future According to Jesus, exploring in the Olivet Discourse, found in Mark's Gospel, what Christ taught about the future events that lead directly to the end times, followed by his return. In today's lesson, Tom will continue with the second part of the Olivet Discourse, continuing his study of the seven-year span of time known as the Great Tribulation. First, a time of peace, followed by tribulation unknown to the world before that time, all set in motion by a single catastrophic event, an event predicted by the prophets of old. Let's join our teacher to find out more on The Word Unleashed. There are going to be 69 of those 70 weeks will take place from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. So 483 years that are described in this prophecy are going to happen between a decree to rebuild Jerusalem and Messiah the Prince. Now the problem here is that there were three different edicts to rebuild Jerusalem or dealing with Jerusalem. And it's challenging to know which one Daniel is referring to. Let me give you the three just so you can think with me. The first decree that it could be referring to is the decree of Cyrus in 538 B.C. The second decree it could be referring to is the decree of Artaxerxes to Ezra in 458 B.C. That's in Ezra 7. The first one was in Ezra 1. The third decree it could be referring to is the decree of Artaxerxes to Nehemiah. You remember when Nehemiah goes back to rebuild the city. That occurred in 444 B.C. That's recorded in Nehemiah chapter 2. So which is it? Well, the first one is impossible. The decree of, of Cyrus that happened in 538, because if you add 483 years to that, you run out 50 years before Messiah the Prince. So that one's not a good solution. The second decree is possible in 458 BC, because that would have it ending around 26 AD. Now, if your math doesn't exactly match my math, here's the reason. They calculated years in those days with 360 days. So if you want to read more about this, you really want to get into this, get a book like a Harold Honer's Chronological Aspects in the Life of Christ, and you can get into it a lot more deeply. But I'm, you just have to trust me here that the, in the ancient world, they counted years by 360 years. So in each of these cases, that's what I'm giving you as the result. So this second possibility is possible. It has... Essentially, the 483 years running out at about the time of the baptism of Jesus in 26 
A.D. 26-27 A.D. The third is, I think, the most likely, it's also the most prevalent view among premillennialists, and that is that it has to do, when you look at verse 25, and he says, the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, that this has to do with the decree given to Nehemiah. Specifically, you remember, Nehemiah was to rebuild the city and its walls. And the rest of verse 25 talks about what happens. It'll be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. That sounds exactly like what happens in the life and ministry of Nehemiah. Now, notice how he structures this verse. First of all, he separates, he has 69 weeks, but he separates the 69 weeks into seven weeks and 62 weeks. That's because the first seven weeks are 49 years has to do with the ministry of Nehemiah when he was rebuilding the city. So that 49-year period takes us to the end of Nehemiah's life and ministry, to the end of Malachi, to the end of Old Testament history. And then you have 62 weeks, or 430 more years. A total, then, of 483 years from the decree to rebuild the city of Jerusalem in 444 B.C. to Messiah the Prince. And again, because they used 360 day years, 360 days for a year, you have this ending, are you ready for this, in 30 A.D. Amazing. Amazing the accuracy of this prophecy. Now notice what he says. From the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince. At the end of the the seven weeks and the 62 weeks, or add those together, at the end of the 69 weeks, our 483 years, comes Messiah. The Hebrew word is Hamashiach. The Greek equivalent is Christ or Christos. It means the anointed one. The one described in other parts of Old Testament history. Now notice verse 26. After the 62 weeks, so now we're, we're at the end of those 69 weeks. The seven weeks, the 62 weeks. At the end of that, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. The Messiah will be killed. By the way, it doesn't say immediately after. Any timeline that causes the 69 weeks to end any time during the life of Christ satisfies the demands of of Daniel's prophecy. But as we saw, remarkably, it really ends in 30 A.D., which I believe was the very year our Lord was crucified. Messiah will be cut off, in other words, killed or slain, and he will have nothing. At the time of his death, he wouldn't have a kingdom or authority. The fulfillment of the messianic kingdom would not occur during his first coming. But now he turns. Notice how he turns in verse 26. He takes us to another event. He's described the Messiah coming, the Messiah being killed. And then he adds this, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood. What's that a reference to? 
Notice the prince is not the Messiah, but a prince who comes, as we'll learn in verse 27, for the purpose of destruction. Verse 27 explains what that future prince will do. But back in verse 26, we're not talking about the prince yet. We're talking about the people group from which that future prince will come. Who destroyed the city and the sanctuary? The Romans in 70 AD. This is a prophecy that after the Messiah is cut off, there will come a time when a people group from whom an eventual prince will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood. That flood image pictures the overwhelming numbers of Roman soldiers descending upon the city of Jerusalem in 70 AD. So this is an incredible prophecy. It takes us from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem under Nehemiah. It takes us to the end of Old Testament history. It fast forwards us at the end of the 69 weeks to Messiah coming, Messiah being killed. And then it fast forwards a little further in their history to the destruction of the city and the sanctuary in 70 AD. And then he says, the end of verse 26, even to the end there will be war desolations are determined. That may be speaking of the the Roman wars around 70 AD, or it may be speaking prophetically to the period from the destruction of Jerusalem to the end. Just like we saw in Mark chapter 13, there are to be wars and rumors of wars. Could be either. Now look at verse 27. Here we get to the passage from which our Lord draws in the Olivet Discourse. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. Stop there. Here's where the threefold division that the angel Gabriel shared with Daniel becomes important. Remember how he broke it up? There were seven weeks, and then there were 62 weeks. What does that make? This isn't a trick question. 69 weeks. What does that leave? One week. Where did that week go? So far, we have 69 weeks of seven years, our 483 years, ending with Messiah being here and being cut off. So what happened to the 70th week? There's one final week left, or seven years left. In this prophecy, the famous 70th week, we only have two choices. The first choice is that that 70th week began immediately following the 69th week. Now think about that for a moment. That makes no sense. Because that would mean that whatever the 70th week is predicting here, and we're going to look at it in verse 27, it has already been fulfilled. If you take this approach, what Daniel describes in in verse 27 cannot be connected to any great event. In fact, it just means the 70th week kind of fizzles out seven years after the ministry of Christ in about 37 AD with nothing. The other approach, and this is the one that I think by the time we're done you'll embrace as I do, is that this 70th week is still in the future. 
There are a number of arguments for this 70th week being in the future. Let me just give you a few. These are taken, adapted from Harold Honer's book that I mentioned to you, Chronological Aspects in the Life of Christ. First of all, the promises back in verse 24, those could not have all been fulfilled when Christ came the first time. Righteousness has not come in like a flood and been settled into eternal righteousness. Israel has not experienced everlasting righteousness. We already know there was some kind of gap, right? Because notice that verse 26 says, after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. He wasn't cut off during those period of time, that period of time, but after it. So there already is a gap between week 69 and 70. And of course, such gaps aren't uncommon in prophecy. We've seen that already. The person we're going to meet in verse 27 cannot be Christ. Christ didn't confirm a covenant during his first coming. He didn't break a covenant during his first coming. And the nearest antecedent to he in verse 27 is the prince who is to come back in verse 26. Christ's death didn't immediately cause the sacrificial system to cease, which verse 27 says happens. And the abomination of desolation mentioned in verse 27 That has not yet occurred because in Matthew 24, Jesus said it would come after his earthly ministry and immediately before his second coming. If Jesus hasn't come, then this verse hasn't been fulfilled. So, that means Daniel's 70th week is still in the future. After, listen carefully, after 483 years are 69 weeks Around A.D. 30, in the ministry of Jesus, this prophetic clock stopped ticking. It stopped at the end of 69 weeks. And there is still one seven-year period yet in the future when the events of this verse, verse 27, will unfold. Now look at verse 27. Here's Daniel's description of the one week that's yet to come says, he, he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. He cannot refer to Christ. It doesn't make any sense in the context. Going back to verse 26, it has to be the prince who is a part of the people who destroyed the city and the sanctuary. This prince in other places in Daniel is described as the little horn of Daniel 7. He is the man of sin of 2 Thessalonians 2. He is the beast of Revelation 13. This man is the Antichrist. This prince will make a covenant with Israel supposedly for seven years. Notice that. He will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, for a seven-year period. And that exactly fits what we learn from Revelation. That there will be, in the time of Antichrist, a time of false worldwide peace that he will initiate. A seven-year treaty. But, verse 27 goes on to say, in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and the grain offering. At that time, Israel will have a rebuilt temple, according to this text. And at the midpoint of that seven-year period, at the end of three and a half years, 
He will terminate the agreement, the covenant that he made, and that will be demonstrated by causing temple worship to cease. Now notice how the verse goes on. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate. Here we arrive at the event Jesus mentions in the Olivet Discourse. Abominations that cause desolations is exactly what it says. Abominations that cause desolations. A similar phrase is used in chapter 11 of Daniel to refer to what Antiochus Epiphanes did in 168 BC. Antiochus Epiphanes, some of you will remember, desecrated the temple in Jerusalem in 168 BC by erecting a statue of Zeus and slaughtering a pig on the altar. The same language is used of what he did. But here, Christ is saying that in his time it was still in the future. So this isn't about Antiochus Epiphanes. This is about somebody in the future, during that future seven-week period, the Antichrist, who will do something very similar to what Antiochus Epiphanes did. He will do something that will be an abomination against what the Jews regard as sacred. He will so violate the holy place, remember what we saw in Matthew 24? He will so violate the holy place in the temple that he will completely desolate it or ruin it for further use. In all likelihood, he will not only pollute the temple But like Antiochus Epiphanes, he will place a statue or altar probably to himself. And that will increase the abomination. And this happens, notice the end of verse 27, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. God says all that has been determined will be poured out upon Jerusalem during this three and a half year period of this violated covenant. The tribulation begins with the revelation of the Antichrist and his covenant with Israel. At the midpoint of that seven-year period, Antichrist will break that covenant that he made at the beginning, cause the sacrificial system to cease, do something that desolates the temple, probably very similar to what Antiochus Epiphanes did. And then God will pour out his full fury, a destruction that has been determined. And then comes the end. Christ returns. God will take back this earth from the usurper. He will keep all of the promises he made to Israel and to you, and he will pour out his wrath on all those who have set themselves against him. Now with that in mind, go back to Mark. Look at Mark 13, verse 14. Jesus says, But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, as Matthew says, in the holy place, then... Those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. When Antichrist desecrates the temple at the midpoint of the seven-year period we call the tribulation, you know that he's about to violate the covenant he's made. If you're in Israel then, you better run. That's what Jesus says. The great tribulation is about to begin. But those days will be a time of tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the creation which God created until now and never will. Here's how Matthew puts it. 
For then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. How do you and I respond to this incredible reality that this is coming? You say, we're not going to be here. So how do we respond to this truth? Look at how Jesus applies it to his disciples living in the first century. Verse 33, take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It's like a man away on a journey who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also committed the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Listen, for us who are in Christ, we are to realize that the end is coming. Christ is going to fulfill His Word. Don't get so caught up in the daily affairs of life that you lose the reality that this will happen, that the end is coming, that Christ will return, that the world we live in will be destroyed, that God will pour out His wrath upon it. That ought to keep us sober. That ought to keep us alert. That ought to keep us loving the people around us enough to share the gospel with them. And it ought to keep us on our knees before Him. I want you to turn to one last passage with me. Look at Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is, of course, Matthew's version of the Olivet Discourse. And I want you to notice verse 36. Here is the warning to those who may not really be in Christ. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. There will be two men in the field. One will be taken away in judgment and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken away in judgment and the other left. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying to you, if you're not in Christ, it's very easy for you to get complacent, to be just like the people of Noah's time. They knew by Noah's preaching the flood was coming. They were warned because there was an ark, for goodness sake, sitting right there for them to see what Noah was saying. He believed very much so, and that God's direction had built the ark. And yet, what did they do? Notice what he says. They just lived their lives. They were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. They were just caught up in the daily affairs of life, acting as if it would never come. They just disregarded the warning, and they kept about their normal lives, and the judgment came suddenly. Jesus says, that's exactly what will happen in the end. This is a warning to you. Don't become complacent. Don't think you can live your life and act like everything's going to be fine and God's not going to interrupt this world like He's promised He's going to interrupt it. It will come. And when it comes, it will come suddenly. And you, 
If you have not put your confidence in Christ, you will be swept away in judgment just as surely as those outside the ark were swept away in Noah's time. The only place of safety for you for the future is the ark that we have, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only place of safety from the coming judgment. My plea to you is don't be uncertain. Be alert. Be ready. Be in the ark. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part 10 of The Future According to Jesus. We hope you'll join us again next time for part 11. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. Plan to join Tom Pennington this summer, June 24th and 25th at Countryside Bible Church in South Lake, Texas, as he introduces The Word Unleashed's first annual Faithful Stewards Conference Series. Faithful Stewards is designed for pastors, elders, teachers, and church leaders. But even if you aren't in one of those categories, you're welcome to attend. This year's theme is Loving Christ by Feeding His Sheep, a reflection on our Lord's challenge to the Apostle Peter as found in John chapter 21. There's no cost to attend, but registration is required. June 24th and 25th. Go to thewordunleashed.org to register. You know, The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.